1: There's that music. Good morning. Good morning. It is about two minutes past one and a half minutes past the hour of nine o'clock. You're on three triple R. This is Radio Marinara. I'm Anthony Boxshaw. I'm Bron Burton. I'm Dr. Beach.
0: Goodness, look at that. Hello, streamers. I oh, know. We
1: haven't done this for a while. It doesn't happen very often. I know. It's lovely. It's good to see you. How are you both?
2: I'm very well. No, you're not. I, no, yeah, I'm a bit, <laughs> bit dusty actually. <laughs> my, my, my team won. And you know, it has happened. Yes, your team beat
1: my team. I, my team beat my team. In very une- un- completely expected circumstances.
2: Quite closest <laughs> margin for. Melbourne winning for a while.
1: Yeah, and that's hard for you guys. It's been tough,
2: hasn't it? It's been. If really you're wondering tough.
0: who Dr. Beach and Anthony's respective teams are,
2: <laughs> it's, um, the, the Melbourne Football Club is mine,
1: and I have the Hawthorne Hawks, who are in one of their longest premiership droughts for a long time. They're I, was, I was worried
2: in the first quarter. <laughs> yeah, wow, well, they're good at starting. They came, out. came, very came out of the blocks well.
1: I did. I was surprised. We we're very surprised. I was very surprised. Yeah, I haven't got footy
2: and I continued
0: celebrating for a
1: while. So, on, on Radio Footy Rama, um, how about you, Brian? How's your turn?
0: Oh, as bad I, as mine. I've only just stopped sobbing after Anzac oh. Day, so that's it for me. Okay. Next subject let's talk about wet and salty <laughs> let's things. Let's do that. Hey, um, speaking of which, thanks, Tim.
2: Oh, my goodness. Oh, people who are born <laughs> in May, much. what a beautiful song. That, 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 that string of songs, that string of May Day songs. Thank you, Tim.
1: And and I don't know whether the listeners were aware, but Tim and t- Tim ended his show and we started ours on the dot to the nanosecond of nine. Such Brilliant. is
0: the professional that was, oh, <laughs> as opposed to this disorganized <laughs> ramble. <rudder. laughs> Not true. Hey, and thanks Andrew very much for Soulful bits, and thank you Edith for things to do today. That's wonderful. Lots of things to do today. I know
1: in the little what was it the the old borough of. West Gath. Oh, West <laughs> <Gath>. Actually. <laughs> I, just, I did not realise that was the old rural borough of West
0: Gath. Yeah. Anyway. There we go. Yes, actually. Should we go through the lineups oh, for yeah, today? Yeah, what's let's happening? What are we doing today? Well, we are shortly going to be joined by two friends of Hobson's Bay. They're um, part of the Hobson's Bay Wetlands Group. And they're going to be hosting an open day to celebrate the wonders of the Ramsar-recognised Cheetan wetlands uh, and an amazing public centre which is being built that focuses on their natural wonders, uh, also Aboriginal connection to country and the importance of wetlands to well-being. So we're going to be That's speaking cool. with yeah Rob Mancini, who has been a frequent correspondent with us here on Radio Marinara. Um Thank you, Rob, very much for alerting us to this. And also Dr Rebecca Patrick from Deakin University. Uh, she's sort of, they're both bringing their own angles to this particular place, but also what the, the Friends group is all about and the Open Day. So we're going to talk to them about that as well.
2: It's going to be brilliant. Hobson's Bay needs Friends. Yeah. Well, it's got it. That's it's a wonderful it
1: thing. It's got them. And then we're going to talk about very, very large waves.
0: Yes. So we're going to be uh, crossing to somewhere in New South Wales mm. to speak with Multi-award-winning surf filmmaker Tim Bonithon about his soon-to-be-released much-anticipated Big Wave Project 2, which is sequel to the 2017 The Big Wave Project.
1: It's inspired choice for a title.
0: It's very cryptic. It's <laughs> I about, can't wait. I can't wait. Very, very <laughs> large waves. It's about the world's biggest waves. And this particular sequel has taken four years to make. The <sighs> previous one took five years to make. And so we'll be talking to Tim about Really the biggest swells in the world, where they are.
2: And at, the people yeah. who want to get on them, That's which is right. extraordinary. My, my pulse is going already. I know, already. me too. I just think, jeez.
1: I know, I watched, did you see Margaret River yesterday? They were six metre. Wow. Oh, not yesterday, the day before was six metre. Yeah. And, and you know, and Kelly Slater came off saying, okay, that was a bit hard, you know, like, and you just kind of go. Kelly Slater, what,
2: 50 years old. <sighs> Amazing. I aspire to be like him when I'm 50. Oh, whoops, yeah. I'm past that. And point. after um, after that, we're going to wrap it up with. I'm going to do a bit of science at the end. Uh, a couple of papers that have been interesting to me over the last week. One of them is about Rolly Shoals. Do you know Rolly Shoals?
1: I've heard of Rolly Shoals.
2: Rolly Shoals. speaking a good, of WA, yeah, off Broome. couple mm. of hundred k off Broome. Good name, actually, mm. Rolly Shoals. Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's Sorry. all we're going to do. That's, that's the that's entire we're, gonna, thing. we're just going to talk about that. Anyway, yeah.
2: interesting <laughs> reefs there. Three separate reefs. Um, lagoon temperature, high temperature in the lagoon, off the reef slope, lower temperature. Perfect mm. place to test um, different corals and their resistance to elevated temperature. Ooh. Very interesting paper which has come How out of the science reports. Um, and, and then and birds. And then birds. Birds. Turns. Uh, migrating turns. Turns out that. With turns, turns turns uh-huh. boom, turns. Boom. Uh, it's dads that lead the way mostly when they're migrating Turns out Yeah, it turns out can we,
1: can we, let's try and do that in, joke in, in, all in, the way through In eight
2: speed. out of nine cases
1: Ooh, okay, oh, I'm looking forward to that Now we're going to do the where should we do the weather now? Yeah, let's let's do, the weather. do the weather and then we're going to do politics Just, we're going to give you, uh, I'll just give you a heads up A um, trigger warning, we're going to talk about politics it's an election campaign. I know that kind of annoys people.
0: It's all right, though, because it's about the marine environment. It's going to be very short.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be gonna exactly. very, very short. And, and
1: we promise if anyone's about to go to sleep, please text in. We'll keep the text line open and we'll we'll wake you up after that.
2: <laughs> I'm okay, asleep already. You just mentioned it. Uh, but today's Sunday. Um, it's going to be 20 degrees, mostly cloudy. Um, yeah, no rain. None tomorrow. Weather. Well, maybe a little sprinkle. 21 degrees tomorrow, 13 minimum. Tuesday's going to be Wendy Brown and mm. Anth, uh, huh. twenty-one degrees, and then showers. Sixteen temperatures dropping a little bit on Wednesday. Thursday possible, 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 p- possible mm. thunderstorm and a maximum of thirteen oh. degrees and up to twenty millimeters oh. of rain. Uh, up to ten mils on Friday, so a bit wet later on the week, uh, but cloudy and kind of mild. Did at you the say moment.
1: thirteen degrees?
2: Thirteen you degrees maximum temp there. Uh, eight to thirteen. Minimum of eighteen. Minimum of eight. Maximum of thirteen. On Thursday, possible thunderstorm. Donner and Blitzen. I can see it on uh-huh. my screen. Um, Norman And welcome if you're to heading winter. out on the water, you'll be wanting to know what's happening with the tides mm-hmm. at Point Lonsdale, which of course represents the the um the end of our fair bay. You know the heads. Uh, it's Last tide, low tide was at 6am this morning and the next high tide is just going to be before 1pm this afternoon.
1: There you go, so you've got time to get down there before
2: the, what is it, the high? The high, the high. is at 12.53pm Anthony. Slack will be soon. Uh, I guess it will be. Yeah, yeah. Takes me back to the 80s when I used to have a job diving there. We'd always have to dive on slack tide, otherwise you'd get dragged out the heads.
1: Yes, or straight back up into or the bay. Straight back yeah, into absolutely, to to the bay. no, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's somewhat depressing. That's going to be thirty
2: degrees <laughs> on Thursday. Thursday Thursday's going. <sighs> lucky I'm going to be
1: in Sydney. So people make the most of today. Hey, now, um, as as promised, we we're not going to talk about this very long, but we thought that given that there is that oh, sorry election going on, and they're not doing anything really except throwing things at each other, have a very quick look at what there is in it for the marine. For marine, coastal and oceans. So I went to the websites for the policy platforms for the ALP, the Greens, the Liberals and the Nationals and I entered four search terms, marine, coast, ocean and climate. I thought it'd be interesting, just I'll throw the, throw the last one in for the sake of it. So when you go to the headline, I'm talking about, this is like a headline, I didn't go into, I went to some of the policies, but not much. When you go into the headline, just to see what they've got, if they have got policies that mention um, the ALP, um, all actually, let's just cut to the chase, all of them at their headline platform stage say nothing about marine, coastal ocean, nothing. Okay, so if your vote is based on their priority interest in this topic, it ain't there. So that's all four of them. Including all of the them Greens. About Yeah, yeah at, the high, at the high level, at the policy platform level, there's nothing that mentions marine, coastal ocean. If you delve in a bit, though, and particularly when you look under the environment and or climate policies of virtually all of them, you find more info. Okay. Yeah, and you find quite a lot a bit more info. Now, they all do mention climate on their front, you know, headline, Interestingly, except the Libs, which I found interesting. The Nats did, the Greens did, and, and Labor did, but the Libs didn't have climate as a kind of a standout one. Um, anyway, then once you get into... They've all, so let's go, ALP, lots about climate, mostly about emissions, not much about adaptation. Um, but then particularly where they do mention marine, they talk about the barrier reef, okay, and something about um, rivers and catchments. Right? So that's Labor. So um and they also say something about the current government dropping the ball on on MPAs, marine protected areas, and then wanting to fix that. the the Greens have a lot about climate. They have a lot in the environment, and they also mention in their climate and environment section, marine and ocean. Um, they don't mention oh, big pardon. They mention mention them all: marine twice, coast five times, ocean nine times. So they've got some sense of the words being in their policy platforms. The Liberals do talk about in their environment area. They talk about um, leading the way on waste. Going, stopping waste going to ocean, they, and, and they also have committed to increase our marine park coverage to forty-five percent of our oceans, which is a really interesting one. Hang on. who, who was that? The Libs. The Libs. Yeah. And
0: any kind of suggestions on how they might do that
1: no 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 this is just like the literally the policy platform area it just mentions that a labor has a similar pledge right. greens have a bigger pledge on that one but it was interesting to find that in the liberals um pledge then and but but mainly again most of their focus is on the barrier reef um, the Nats, um, they mention climate on their front page, which I thought was really interesting given the general lack of discussion of climate and avoidance of talking about the, the war. Um, but they do have an actual plan that includes marine and it's actually a plan for the Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> so there's lots of mentions of marine in that. Um, they even talk about um, coast, um, but but it's pretty much centred on the Barrier Reef. Um, and, and, and that's pretty consistent for Labor, Liberal and National, um, although the Libs have that National Park plan, which is broader, and the ALP have that plan to make them managed better, which is broader, and the Greens have quite a lot about coastal adaptation and marine. So there you go. There's the kind of, like, if you, if you just go and look at their policy platform at the high level, it's, it's not... What? A lot about marine, coastal, ocean. It's not a, an election. There's going to be one on the marine, coastal, it's ocean. Not vote. Yeah.
0: Now, only a proverbial stone's throw from the Melbourne CBD, the Hobson's Bay Wetlands on the lands of the Bunurong people of the Southeastern Kulin Nation are home to 150 species of frogs, sorry, of fish, frogs, and up to 65,000 migratory shorebirds each year. Next weekend, the Friends of Hobson's Bay Wetlands are hosting an open day to celebrate the wetlands and an amazing public centre being built that focuses on natural wonders of the internationally recognised wetlands, Aboriginal connection to country, and the importance of the wetlands to well-being to tell us all about the wetlands and some really exciting work underway and next weekend's open day. It's a big Marinara welcome to representatives from the Friends of Hobson's Bay Wetlands, Rob Mancini and Dr Rebecca Patrick. Good morning Rob, Rebecca, good morning Rebecca and welcome to Radio Marinara. Good morning team. Hello. Hi, great to have you with us. Um, Rob, thought we might start with you just with a general description about the Hobson's Bay Wetlands, just a, a Bit of a look at the profile. I mentioned all of those different species of fish and frogs and all these migratory shorebirds that come through each year, but tell us a little bit about the wetlands maybe to kick off with.
3: Well, I mean, I've always been interested in that that area, that stretch of coast, particularly between um, uh, Altona or Williamstown, all the way from Spotswood actually to um, right through to Labrador, and we have um, Cheatham wetlands there. And as as we know, um, uh, critical ecosystems and basically those wetland habitats have disappeared well in the last 300 years we've lost 87 percent of them um, so it's, and that's rather frightening uh, because they do provide an incredible service um, in terms of uh, the salt marsh plants they uh, protect coastlines from erosion flood mitigation uh, stru- carbon carbon sinks they provide that carbon sink um, benefit so yeah so it's 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 quite critical and that's that's how this the, the Hobson Bay wetland Center, began uh, our our wonderful dynamic chair, Marilyn Olive, that was her vision originally. And um, so it's less than five years when the Hobsons Bay Wetland Centre was incorporated and um, that's how we sort of came about. And when some like-minded individuals got together to um, try and push towards this vision of having this centre built um, at the right, very close, to uh, things like Cheatham Cheatham wetlands, which are interne- internationally um, recognised and Ramsar protected wetlands.
0: Just going back to the figure that you just mentioned before, over the last three hundred years, was that eighty percent, eighty-seven percent?
3: Well, estimated about eighty percent, eighty-seven, yeah.
0: Eighty-seven percent of it is lost, and I just wanted to touch on that briefly in terms of the the use or the former use of this particular area that might have led to such an enormous amount of loss, um, and just going to the description for your open day, and you mentioned here that, and we'll talk about the open day in a minute, but describes the area as the delightful grounds of Truganina Explosives Reserve. Um, firstly, I'm assuming there's no more expl- currently live explosives in the area. <laughs> I <I'm> hope not.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, not that, not, not that we're found yet, but um, that, that is, that's, our, that's our current home. So that is that has been restored by the local men's shed, which is fantastic. There's two buildings there, the underkeeper's, and the manager's house. So there's a large tract of land there, which has has some remnant bushland on it. So that really is not so much connected to the wetland, but it is our current home, um, and uh, we will be hopefully moving to the wetland centre uh, when that is f- physically built. So we um, we uh, yeah. So basically, what so we've been we've been advocating and lobbying, and um, since as I said, two two thousand eighteen, when we are. Uh, when we incorporated when we incorporate and we um, we've, we're really excited to have the Hobsons Bay City Council actually has it as one of their advocacy priorities. Um, so there, we we received uh, some feasibility um, uh, study money, which was wonderful. Um, we've even had uh, architects appointed to draw up the initial concept plans, um, and they'll be available for view on the um, the open day, and people can comment on that. But um, Look, this really has the the vision. Is got I have to admit, has grown beyond our members' thinking. It's actually so uh, it's it's much bigger, and you know that means we need more money. So that's you know a few a few a bit of a hurdle there. Um, but we have uh, council support, and we're currently um, at we're um, you know looking for partnerships with all all levels of government and um, corporations etc. to 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 make the vision a reality. Rebecca,
0: I wanted to ask you about the work that you're doing because one of the, I don't know if Deakin is a former partner here, but the work that you're doing, particularly looking at the importance of wetlands for health and well-being, Can you speak to that a bit, please?
4: Absolutely. Look, Deakin is a major partner and a proud partner of the Wetlands Centre. And uh, as uh, Rob mentioned, the vision and what is really quite unique about this centre is its explicit focus on the health benefits of wetlands for, for human health. So, At Deakin, I run a research group called the Health Nature Sustainability Research Group. And as the name implies, we look at the health benefits of contact with nature. So things like environmental volunteering, green prescribing, and actually taking climate action is good for your health. So if you've got any eco-anxiety, I suggest you get down to the Hobson's Bay Wetland Centre um, uh, open day next week and, and it helps promote mental health. And so – sorry, go on.
1: Oh, no, no, I was just – I didn't mean to jump in there, Rebecca, but I'm interested. Yeah. You said green prescribing. What, what's a green prescription?
4: Yeah, look, this is something that kicked off uh, over the dit about 20-odd years ago over in New Zealand where doctors uh, started to uh, work with patients uh, and rather than, you know, adding more pills to their prescription, they said, let's put some green on your script this time and let's get you out in nature because when we get you out in nature, you have the, you know, fresh air, you get opportunities for physical activity and all of the, the goodies that being in, in nature uh, provides for health and well-being.
2: Rebecca, that's, that, that's that's a really lovely thing to say. It comes from over the dish. And you also mentioned something called eco-anxiety. What, mm. is, what is that?
4: Look, um, it's those eco-emotions we feel when we worry about the future, when we hear about climate science, and when we hear things like what Rob said, that eighty percent decline of our of the the natural systems and the ecosystems that we all love so much. So it's that fear of the future. That's that worry. It's that you know concern we have about voting in a couple of weeks' <laughs> time. I'll throw that in for good future. Yep. And so it's something, um, particularly climate scientists and environmental um, conservationists, they're worried about the environment and that can affect our our health and well being. So. Um, but the good news is when we do something to, to, to kind of take charge of that and put our hands in the dirt and plant more and volunteer, we actually get a bit of relief from that feeling of an eco-anxiety and we start to feel a little bit better, we feel a bit more socially connected and we feel like that we're actually making a difference. And as you probably know, that, um, that makes you feel good as well. So back to health and wellbeing.
0: Is it part of a, is it, is it almost a sub-branch of eco-psychology? Is eco-psychology even a thing? Because it sounds like if it's not, maybe it could be.
4: It it certainly is. We've got some wonderful researchers at Deakin in our psychology department, uh, environmental psychologists, and I've been working with them. I'm in health promotion. So there's a lot of people in health now that are really switched in to this branch of science and we're working really closely together um, to, to look at the issues around people's mental health and wellbeing as it relates to the environment. On the one hand, the fear and the worry, but on the other hand, where are the opportunities when we put ourselves in health, to pre- pre- sorry, when we put ourselves in the natural environment, such as the, the wetland centre, uh, to decrease the stress, to take down those cortisol levels and to get our zen back after being really busy all week and running around after the kids and, um, you know, all that's on our plates. Uh, yeah, there's some really great opportunities to promote health in the natural environment.
0: Yeah, my head's just exploded and I think we're going to get you back on before too long to talk about this more broadly <laughs> and, and also extrapolating some of these ideas to the marine environment and you sort of feel immediately I think of things like diving and, and you know, fishing and, and um, stand-up paddle boarding and, you know, all the yeah. stuff that we've talked about on this program over the years, I can kind of immediately see all kinds of different connections here. So we'll, we'll put that one um, to to the side for the moment, Rebecca, but we'd love to have you back on to talk about this more broadly. Absolutely. Oh, let's um just a couple of questions about uh, before we get onto the open day next week. The Friends of Hobson's Bay Wetlands, can you tell us about your friends group?
4: So, there's a wonderful great group of volunteers and members who drive all of the activities. Um they give their time and talent um, to bring this vision to life about promoting health and getting people in contact with nature. So the volunteer activities and the members there doing the traditional conservation activities like um, citizen science and conserving the, the local area. Um, but they're also running uh, events like sketching, birding, meditation, uh and and walking tours. So taking people around the gorgeous wetland areas and introducing them to to all those health and wellbeing benefits and also getting to know the local area. So uh, again, these wonderful uh, local volunteers, you know, ranging from people with chemistry degrees uh, right through to to students uh, are volunteering their time to to create the vision and and, um, move us forward together. I mentioned in
0: the introduction that part of the centre that's being developed is a focus on Aboriginal connection to country as well. Can you tell us, either of you, tell us a little bit about um, the work that's happening in, in that area?
3: Uh, I can touch briefly on that. Um, the um, So the building itself is really potentially going to be a first in Australia in terms of a sustainably led um, centre, nature centre um, and uh, at, at its design, at, at its core, its design, design concepts have been done by Grim, Grimshaw Architects, who've done the initial concept drawings, and they're introducing um, bio, biophilic um, design elements, which is connected to nature, incorporating nature as elements in 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 a building, and also um, indigenous design principles. So there's been a lot of um, research into one connecting with the local indigenous peoples or the of the past. And also uh, plants and um, lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, the, the Grimshaws particularly have been very um, very uh, uh, gone quite deeply into, into assessing that in terms of their concept plans for the, for the buildings. Rob, uh, let's
0: let's move on to the open day because I've just had a look at the time, yep. and uh, we've got Tim Benython, uh going to be joining us shortly to talk Absolutely. about um, about uh, his amazing film. Um, yep. Let's talk about the open day next week. What's in store for people when they go along?
3: Okay, so the theme is celebrate our wetlands because we, as we're preaching the converted here, we know how wonderful they are. But um, we just want to, um, uh, yeah, show people a bit more. Show more, some people what what is in the area. We're going to have guided walks, activities for all ages, uh, music, sausage sizzle. Bring along a bring along a picnic, and the wonderful Orb is going to have, have generously offered to perform for us. Um, so. And on display will be the plans, and you can look and see what we what what the proposal is, uh, a bit more about that, and input have, put your input in on that. And um, yeah, and, and we're excited to show the public, um, yeah, what we're about and what we're what we're planning.
0: So this is next Saturday 7th of May. Uh, it's running from 11 until 3 from at Truganina Explosives Reserve uh, You can get there via 276 Queen Street, Altona. We'll put a link to that on our Facebook page and yes, as you mentioned, uh, starting at 11 o'clock with an official welcome to country and then the Orb Weavers performing and then all sorts of wonderful guided activities by the Friends of Hobson's Bay Wetlands running through until 3 o'clock We'll put a link to that on our Facebook page um, but uh, yeah, in the meantime, Rob. Man- cheney and dr rebecca patrick thanks so much for joining us today on radio marinara
3: Thanks for Bye. You. Bye.
0: get along next week we'll put oh, those yeah. details on our facebook page
2: and we've got a beautiful oboe that's playing that
0: yeah that is just
1: fantastic isn't it what a wonderful thing
2: Eco anxiety do you suffer from that anthony
1: uh, you know it's really interesting I, I don't know whether i do specifically however you know what you're talking about bron when you ease yourself into the ocean for a snorkel as i did last sunday something dissipates hmm. you know you, you just it dissip, you know you just suddenly get less stressful or stressed It's it's remarkable Wonderful stuff
0: uh, Our next conversation And uh, look, just to introduce it, five years ago After five years in the making Big Wave surf filmmaker Tim Bernithan's The Big Wave Project blew minds with its documentary Of the biggest swells in the world And the extraordinary skills of surfers around the world That chase them, ride them and on occasion Save each other. If you love The Big Wave Project and even if you haven't seen it You're in for a treat as Big Wave Project 2 Is about to be released on Big screens around Australia and from there around the world. To tell us all about Big Wave Project 2 and where you can see it on the big screen, it's with great pleasure we welcome multi-award winning surf filmmaker Tim Bernithan. Good morning, Tim. Welcome to Triple R.
5: Well, thanks for having us, and that was quite a uh, introduction, yeah. but it's, uh, it's, it's slightly
0: true. <laughs> I think I should count up the number, of, the number of times I've said the word big. I think we're probably up to eight already. <laughs> but they are.
5: It is big. It's the biggest it gets. Yeah.
2: They're enormously big. We're looking at images here on a screen that Anthony is showing to us in the studio, and it's, I'm, I'm just terrified. My pulse is going yeah, up.
1: Just yeah, yeah, the, the <laughs> entire adrenaline in the studio has raised about 20, 20 metres, (laughs)
0: Um, Uh, Hey, Tim, you've been making documentaries about big waves and the people who ride them since the 1970s. What is it about big waves that keeps drawing you in?
5: Well, you know, I think the most important part is that, you know, people who don't really surf will look at this footage or these waves and they'll just go, wow, that is outrageous. Like, how do they survive that kind of thing? So it's really um, the awe of um, and the beauty of uh, big waves and I, I've always said to um, my audience and friends that it's really the ocean is the star, and the surfers are there mm-hmm. to enhance it because when you've got a, a you know twenty meter wave at Nazareth and you see this dot running down the face you just really start to think how in the world would you survive a wipeout like that when 98 percent of these people walk out into chest high water and if the waves are kind of beating you in you know or beating you down then you're going to go into a panic mode so yeah, no, it's um definitely very exciting and um from day one when i was got my first professional job going to bells beach in 81 that um when i shot that footage um at the bells easter classic um that was the first time i'd ever been there and the waves were like 15 to 20 foot pretty much the biggest waves i've ever had at the contest there mm-hmm. um and simon Anson bought out a three thin surfboard um then i went home back to adelaide at the time and cut this footage up um for the surf shop there top of tap surf shop and showed it at the pub next door we had a line about a mile long i knew I was on something good here, and 40-plus um, years, I'm still doing what I did <laughs> way back at the start. So it's been a really good ride, <laughs> really good ride.
0: Where are the biggest waves in the world, Tim? You've mentioned Bells. Um, yeah,
5: well, no, there's, um, you know, I think, I mean, obviously the, the place that I go to a lot is Nazare, and that's in Portugal. Um, and the reason why the waves are so big there is is because of the uh, the canyon that's under the ocean. You won't see it, of course, when you go there, but there's uh, a canyon under... It's like the Grand Canyon, sort of under the uh, the ocean floor... on the ocean floor there. And when the swirls come from the northwest and they hit that canyon, they come out triple the size. So you've got to come, like the canyon sort of faces west into Nazareth, into the lighthouse that you might have seen on Mm. the photos and Mm. videos. Um, But if it comes from the northwest, which is sort of towards Iceland, England, all that, then that's when it bounces out of the canyon creates those huge teepee waves, and that's what makes the wave. So if you've got a 25-foot swirl from a big storm and it hits that canyon then you can triple that size you know so that's why <laughs> they, they really are striving to get the 100 foot wave and and there's no doubt that one day there's someone's going to ride a wave that's definitely 100 foot i think the problem we've got right now is exactly the science in proving it it's 100 foot plus yeah. you need can, to ride the wave you know so, so the just
1: right place. just sorry tim just do, i'm just doing the calculation in my head that is for those who are, you know younger than the rest of us that is 30 it's over 30 meters
5: that's right. Very, very big.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of the footage, it almost looks like um, uh, it looks like you're standing next to a very tall building as the wave okay. is coming over.
5: That's right. And and the ultimate angle for me is to shoot that from the water. You know and. Uh the crazy part is it's, it, the waves come in any angle, uh, in any place um, out there because it's a beach break. So when those waves come out of the canyon and sit up on the, uh, the, the sand banks in, in, you know, in the water, which is literally only 300 metres or 200 metres off the beach, um, then, then you really, uh, you, to do that, you need a really good driver. So I say this, you need a really good driver that understands the ocean when you're sitting on the back of the ski. Yep. And you need to know that your jet ski is not going to break down. Uh, uh,
1: uh, 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 there's probably a few more things on my mind at the same time, but anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So
5: you've got to know how to deal with it. You're you got to know how to deal with
1: it.
5: Yeah, so I sit on the jet ski, but it's not all the time. Like, last year, uh, well, last season, I was there shooting for myself, and I've always shot for myself, always retained my own rights, but I was also shooting for the HBO show um, 100 Foot Wave, <laughs> and so they get all access to my cards, which will come out later on. But at the moment... Um, yeah, so I was more doing the land angle. They had a professional mm. water cameraman. That's all he does is has a really good driver and a ski specifically made for shooting from the water. So, you know, it's very doable, but it's, I've got to tell you, it's very scary, and um, you, you don't sleep too well, you know, the night before when you know that there's <laughs> going to be an 80-foot surf the next day, you know, 20 to 30-meter waves <laughs> coming at you.
0: There must be a huge amount of planning that goes into something like this, Tim, for every single shoot that you do, you know, lining exactly. up. Yeah, that's right. And, and then also dealing with the unexpected, because I'm assuming that happens a fair bit too.
5: Well, you know, through experience, you don't want it to happen at all. But um, and you know, I mean, the unexpected certainly has happened and in plenty of opportun- situations and opportunities. That's for sure. But um, I, you know, I was on a boat at um, just off Bells a couple of years ago for a um, Jeep commercial, and uh, and the swell was building, and we were sitting on the inside, and I said to the driver, "I said, mate." I don't know, but I can see, it looks like a big set coming, so keep an eye on it because this guy was jumping out of a helicopter and then <laughs> he was parachuting to the wave and then releasing the parachute and landing on the wave and surfing. That was the objective, <laughs> <though>. Well, <Yeah. laughs> the objective didn't happen. And uh, and then this set came that was like 10, 12 foot and we were sitting on the inside. We uh. went up the face, and the whole boat. Boat flipped and I was stuck inside the boat, oh. and I had my wetsuit half on. This is not a jet ski because normally a jet ski we can yeah. run out of that, but this was a special. I think it's called a. Um, it's a boat that's sort of normally utilized by clubbies, and it has wheels. and I can't think of the name of it, but anyway. So the boat's not that fast, you know. And um, so anyway, the boat flipped. I'm stuck underneath, and. Uh, and I, it took me about 40 seconds to release my jacket, that it wrapped around the back of the. Oh, shit. There was a kind of a, a a mount that went around the back of the engine, and got stuck around the mount there. So I was starting to realise that I better get out of this jacket before um, I, I, I get stuck here forever, you know, and literally drown. Anyway, I got out and I uh, came up, and then there was another big set coming through, and everyone was screaming because there was a few of us on the boat, including a paramedic, and. Um, and you know, just watch out the boat you come. Watch out, there's way. wave coming. And No, like, so yeah. Luckily, um, it ended up being okay. But with the driver of the boat, um, that thing that caught my jacket, cracked him in the head, oh. and he literally had his scalp floating, oh. And flapping. Oh jeez. <laughs> <the Can> I? <laughs> it was pretty hair. I got it. Can I just say,
1: I know Bron, the Bron, blown out. Bron's um, totally played interview. That that there's some footage on some of the trailers, Tim, of. Of the jet skis going up the waves and Ooh. almost slowing down, you know the the wave is getting so steep. Is that when the driver just turns it round and gets the hell out of well, it? Well,
5: sometimes I mean a good driver would know that if it's going to break within, um, you know, that when you're going up, then. Uh, he 'll drive out of there before that happens because that 's the last thing you need to happen is the wave um, breaking um, on you, but sometimes when the wave is already broken and it 's just white water they 'll punch into it, huh. and they'll, their balance will they 'll know how to hit that wave and and be able to get over it you know so um, but sometimes the driver is not that well. Uh, he doesn't understand the situation as well as he should and you, you know he'll drive in there and then that'll roll the ski over and the next thing your skis upside down another set comes and yeah but there's been plenty of moments in um in in like in the film that you see where like you know alex bethello is um he's a very well-known portuguese big wave surfer and they were in a an event there WSL event um big wave challenge and uh and they were running out of the zone because he'd wiped out on the wave on the inside, so his driver... See, when you're tow surfing, there's two people. There's the person that toes you into the wave and then you, you, the, the surfer. So when you catch that wave, the driver will follow the wave behind and just wait for you to kick out of the wave, or if you wipe out, then obviously he's got to go in and get you. That's his objective. Uh, in this case, he picked up Alex and then raced across the level of the beach you know, racing uh, north um, up along the beach and then there was this wave that actually come sideways into the, like literally side on the wave going towards the beach and they hit that, that um, white, white water wave and then they both like got bucked off their ski, like literally throwing 10-15 feet in the air and both of them came crashing down on the jet ski. Alex Hit the jet ski, obviously, with his head and knocked himself out. And then it was 10 minutes later, and he was like rolling around in the water, you know, face in the water, you know, so he was drowning big time. And they really needed to get to him as quick as possible. Um, luckily, they finally got to him and saved his life, but he's been rattled ever since. You know, it's been pretty traumatic for him. And stuff like that happens even for the best guys. So, you know, you just got to be prepared for the worst case scenario. And, uh, yeah, as I say, shit happens. So it happens there too. Big time.
0: How many film crews do you have out there, uh, Tim, when you're shooting? Do you have – it's almost like you'd need a, a film crew to shoot a film crew, if that makes sense.
5: Well, we did that with Foxtel. We did a show called Swell Chasers, and uh, that was really about me and the logistics of getting – to a swirl and to be in the exact right spot when the best biggest waves come because that's the job of your of what i do is to capture that moment and uh so really i'm a one-man band and um when i go overseas or when anyway it's kind of up to me to do it um in every way possible so i'm there to do the interviews on the surfers the logistics of getting there um connecting with the the surf forecasters um and just go on the journey it's a kind of um a pov a point of view but it's done by me from the moment i decide that i'm going on this trip to actually getting on the plane and then to arriving meeting up with the the people and the surfers that i go with and then in the lineup and um get getting that shot and then post interviews at the end so really i don't rely on other crews to uh, you know, it's not a big budget thing. You know, for me, it's a, uh, I'm a one-man band and um, I do it all on my own and, um, and I've been doing it for so long. And, it's yeah, it's really exciting. I love doing it. And, uh, yeah, my plan is to keep doing it for as long as I can.
0: If you've just uh, tuned in, we're speaking with Tim Benython about his latest anticipated film, The Big Wave Project 2. Um it's uh we'll give some details in just a minute of where it's screening because it kicks off this week uh which is very exciting and it's one of those films that you really need to see on the big screen tim
5: yeah that's right you know i mean it's not all about Nazareth. i mean big wave surfing is one of the most amazing sports on the on the planet really you, you know when people when they announce a, there's going to be an event or some kind of big wave moment um and and everybody know it's, it's going to happen then people want to see that stuff you know like it's just such a beautiful, um, dramatic sport to document. And so and the whole world has different locations. Like in Hawaii, you've got Piahi which is Jaws. You've got Pipeline, Waimea Bay. Portugal, as I said, you've got um, Nazare. You've got a bunch of what they call slabs over there. And then Ireland, you've got one of the most amazing uh, reef breaks called Mulligmore. Uh, Spain has waves. Morocco has waves. But the places I really concentrate on, obviously I come home back to Australia um, in late March. So my plans, uh, my usual pr- practice is, is to be in Portugal from October to, to March and then back in Australia. And then I'm here for the Southern Hemisphere and obviously being in Sydney, I can go anywhere uh, in the Southern Hemisphere and it's a good place to be in between all these different spots. You know, So you've got Fiji, so that's Cloud Break, one of the great uh, big wave surf spots in Fiji. And then, of course, you've got Chopu Chupu and Tahiti right now is breaking. Like, it's just, you know, 10, 12 foot, and, and tomorrow is even a bigger day. But with the film festival, I can't be there. I've got to run I tour with every show. So, yeah, no, Australia's got some amazing big waves, and we feature a lot of that in the Big Wave Project with Shipstern's Bluff down in Tasmania and the right in Western Australia these are different kinds of waves than what you'll see in Portugal. So these are really, like those two waves, Shipsterns and the right—are just crazy slabs with great big lumps of water hitting a reef abruptly and just creating these biggest barrels and uh, and so cinematic, wow. you know. Yeah, so I like to I've got the best of all worlds, you know, there's so many amazing spots to document and I've been doing it all my life and um, yeah, that's my story is that it's all about big waves, so it's a Naturally are we caught at the big wave project and um and so here we go into the sport um the second time round, and the sport 's evolving every year it's it 's going to new levels and uh incredible athletes that surf these waves and uh, you know that 's what makes it so amazing is that um it's such an organic sport it's not the mink fannings and the kelly slaters it's just like your tradey down the road that you wouldn't even know surf might surf some of the biggest waves on the planet and that's a lot of these guys do that you know like that's they don't rely on a, a paycheck at the end of the day they do it because they love it
0: let's get to the details the big wave project two four years in the making 6k and 8k ocean cinematography Kicks off this week uh, in Melbourne at the ASTAR uh, on Tuesday, uh, May 3rd. So this coming Tuesday at 7 o'clock. Then at Geelong Village Cinema, May the 4th at uh, Star Wars Day at um, at 6.30. So uh, tipping, you'll get quite, quite a lot of Surf Coast. Uh, people listening to this program heading along to the Geelong screening. Um, from there, it goes to Hobart uh, and then from there to South Australia and then basically around the country. And Tim, I believe you're going to be at every screening.
5: Yeah, that's, that's you know, surf movies have always been like that from the beginning as the filmmaker tends to be um, at the show. So, like back in the early days, it was all on Super 8 and so I'd go home and edit it and um, have a projector there and a microphone in one hand and uh, set the projector up and run the raw footage on the screen and... So I would host it and that's exactly what we're doing um, this time round. and I've always done it like that. And That's what makes it really unique is it's uh, it's pretty much the way surf movies were made back in the old days and yeah. it's, uh, here we are 2022 and... You know, back at the Astor Cinema at St Kilda on on Tuesday night, and then uh, Geelong on Wednesday. So yeah, so I'll be there. We've got some door prizes, and uh, it's, a, it's a real <laughs> night
0: Love out. It. Love fantastic. it, fantastic. And I should also mention, narrated by former world number one champion uh, Tom Carroll. Um, That's and right. Last question, Tim. Will there be a big wave project three? <laughs> well,
5: um, you know, I'm working my YouTube channel a lot now. A lot people really want. Um, content sort of shot as it happened so we're pushing my youtube content which is on surfing visions and so the last trip i went down to shipsterns two weeks ago and um and shot shippies down there but i think we'll be still really pushing the uh youtube channel and more so these days I have 50,000 subscribers which is fantastic but I've been working on a new project called the surfing symphony which is going to be a uh, unique um vision uh, from all these amazing spots but with live music and and because John Law the uh, man with the golden tonsils gave me a camera back in the early uh, late 70s Um, I got him to narrate the opening sequence of that film so it's a long term project, it's not going to happen overnight and I'm moving towards that later on this year so that's the next project we'll be taking on the big screen is the surfing symphony
0: fantastic well let's let's uh, touch base again later in the year and because we'd love to hear more about that one and, and get you back on the program tim oh, yeah. and maybe even studio we'll see how we go but in the meantime yes make sure you get down to the astor on tuesday uh and to geelong village on wednesday hey tim thanks so much for joining us this morning it's been no, great awesome. speaking well, with you guys
5: really appreciate your um, awesome. your connections here and um, love to see all the Surfing ocean lovers come along to the show.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Okay. Bye now. Bye for now. Tim Benathan there. Big Wave Project 2. Yeah. Get along, seat on the big screen.
2: At the Astro. It takes me back to the Brighton Town Hall days. I don't know if you remember that. But yeah, surf movies there. And he said, like, you you get the the movie maker there. It's just, yeah, a wonderful thing. And cinematic. his, His description was cinematic.
1: We're going to play a couple of messages, then we're going to be back with a very,
2: very quick,
1: very uh, quick, quick
2: life. So, at
0: this time of year, Vaca, the Victorian Aboriginal Childcare Agency, invites people to host a morning tea for culture with close friends at work, school, or place of worship. Morning tea for culture is a chance to learn more about Aboriginal culture and issues facing Aboriginal people. While fundraising to help children in VACA's care to heal and connect to culture. For more information on how to host a morning tea or to make a donation, head to vacca.org. Triple R sponsors. Experience some of the biggest names and newest faces in Australian music at Surround Sounds Geelong and the Ballerine Music Festival. Coming up Geelong Jazz Day, OK Motel's West Town Music Club, Bonsai Records Launch, Baraka the Kid, Casey Chambers and Busby Maru, and the Australian Music Vault's Geelong Music Bus Tours. Surround Sounds on now until Sunday, May 8th. Full program details at SurroundSoundsGeelong.com.au. City of Greater Geelong, Crowd Triple R sponsors. So... On Saturday, May 7, Omeo in Eastern
5: Gippsland hosts the debut Frostbite Gravel XL, a scenic off-road cycling event. Journey the roads less travelled through stunning high country locations, including the Great Alpine Road, Nolamundji Olive Grove and Mount Delusion, with three distances for all cycling skill and fitness levels, plus food and drink stops included along the way. Frostbite Gravel XL, Saturday, May 7. Find out more and register at velogramont.com, R sponsors. The Bendigo Writers Festival is back with a flourish
1: this May. Catch more than 100 presenters at over 70 events across four days in the heart of Bendigo. Featuring talks from some of Australia's leading authors and journalists, including Lisa Wilkinson, Norman Swan, Julia Banks, Stephanie Alexander, Thomas Mayer and many more. Plus, American author Elizabeth Gilbert and West Indian cricketer Michael Holding. Bendigo Writers Festival, May 12-15. to Tickets from
2: BendigoWritersFestival.com.au. Triple R sponsors.
1: Indeed, you are on through Triple R. And we've got about a minute and a half to go. And before that message was the Internationale because it's May 1st. So, for all the socialists out there, well done.
2: Yeah, May 1st. Um, Very quickly, interesting paper this week comes out in Science Advances about Rolly Shoals, which is off um, Broome in WA. Turns out to be like a natural laboratory reef uh, at low tide water drains off the reef slope and you've got the lagoon which is heating up so you've got Acropora in there. Acropora is the staghorn coral, very common thing. Uh, You can compare that to the Acropora, same species which is off the reef slope. So you've got warm dwelling ones, relatively cool dwelling ones, we see that the um, yeah the ones who are in the warm stagnant lagoon are doing pretty well, and they respond a lot better to heat temperature ah. elevation in the laboratory. There's a genetic difference there. Uh, people are now trying to figure this out, and the people are people from the Australian Institute of Marine Science in WA. Very interesting paper in Science Advances called mm. Spatially Varying Selection Between Habitats Drives Physiological Shifts and Local Adaptation in a Broadcast Spawning Coral on a Remote Atoll in Western Australia. Very cool. So this might be a climate hedge. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of people lot like Madeline people Van Oppen, we've talked about on this yeah, show, yeah. are looking for corals which are showing expression of genes, which are enabling them to resist elevated temperature. We need to think more about this. We need to, um, yeah.
1: Extraordinary. Well, that was the fastest Life's a Beach in the history of Radio Marinara. But we and did. And I'm, I'm
2: still recovering from Timbernaitha. Yeah, yeah that was waves. the thing. We God. all looked
1: at each other in the studio and went, you know what, let's just keep going
2: because it's such a great story. Yeah, yeah. Well done, Bron, for like, you know, getting to that, that story out. Yeah, that was
0: extraordinary. And yeah. we'll
2: talk about Caspian turns at some other stage. Absolutely. Next but time you're in, Dr Beach, we'll the way.
0: Number one. Hey, uh, and thanks to our guests. Yes, you mentioned Timbernaitha and also Rob Mancini and Dr Rebecca Patrick about the Hobsons Bay Wetland Centre open day next week, and we'll put that all on our Facebook page. Big shout out to Lisanne Oliver as well for sending us a beautiful little package, some stickers of a decapus, which we oh. talked about with Cade <laughs> back in April. So thanks, Lisanne, it was very lovely for you to do that. Uh, yeah, next week's program, Farm will be in, and uh, hopefully talking about an event happening by um, a Cleaner Coast, which is a environmental organisation down on the Surf Coast. So uh, stay tuned for that, and uh, maybe Neil Blake again as well. Oh, brilliant.
1: You mean Radio Marinara? Thank you.
0: Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.